The Limits of Grief. You are the children of the Lord your God. Do not cut yourselves or shave the front of your heads for the dead, for your people holy to the Lord your God. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, the Lord has chosen you to be his treasured possession. These words have had a considerable history within Judaism. The first, you are the children of the Lord your God, inspired the famous statement of Rabbi Akiva, Chaviva Dam beloved is man because he was created in the image of God, Chaviv in Yisrael, but beloved are Israel in a deeper sense, for they are called the children of the old present. As for the phrase, Lotit Godadu, do not cut yourselves, this was imaginatively applied by the sages to divisions within the community. A single town shouldn't have two or more religious courts giving different rulings. The plain sense of these two verses, though, is about behavior at a time of bereavement. We're commanded not to engage in excessive rituals of grief. To lose a close member of one's family is a shattering experience. It's as if something of ourselves had died too. Not to grieve is wrong in human. Judaism doesn't command stoic indifference in the face of death. But to give way to wild expressions of sorrow, lacerating one's flesh, tearing out one's hair, is also wrong. It is, the Torah suggests, not fitting to a holy people. It's the kind of behavior associated with idolatrous cults. How so and why so? Well, elsewhere in Tanakh, we're given a glimpse of the kind of behavior the Torah has in mind. It occurs in the course of the encounter between Elijah and the prophets of Baal on Mount Kaimor. Elijah had challenged them to a test. Let's each make a sacrifice and see which of us can bring down fire from heaven. The Baal prophets accept the challenge. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he's got perhaps he's deep in thought or busy or travelling. Maybe he's sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. This was, of course, not a mourning ritual, but it gives us a graphic sense of the right of self-laceration. Emil Durkheim provides us with a description of mourning customs among the Aborigines of Australia. When a death is announced, men and women begin to run around wildly, howling and weeping, cutting themselves with knives and pointed sticks. Despite the apparent frenzy, there's a precise set of rules governing this behaviour, depending on whether the mourner is a man or woman and on his or her kinship relationship with the deceased. Among the Waramunga, those who slashed their thighs were the maternal grandfather, maternal uncle and wife's brother of the deceased. Others are required to cut their whiskers and hair and then cover their scalps with pipe clay. Women lacerate their heads and then apply red-hot sticks to the wounds in order to aggravate them. A similar ritual is performed by some Shia Muslims on Ashura, the anniversary of the martyrdom of Imam Hussein, the Prophet's grandson, at Karbala, People flagellate themselves with chains or cut themselves with knives until the blood flows. Some Shia authorities strongly oppose this practice. The Torah sees such behavior as incompatible with Kedusha, 
with holiness. What's particularly interesting is to note the two-stage process in which the law is set out. It appears first in Vayikra, chapter 21. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, sons of Aaron, and say to them, A priest may not defile himself for any of his people who die except for a close relative. They may not shave their heads or shave the edges of their beards or cut their bodies. They must be holy to their God and must not profane the name of their God. There, in Vaikra, it applies specifically to Kohanim priests on account of their holiness. In Devarim, the law is extended to all Israel. The difference between the two books, of course, lies in their original audiences. Leviticus is mainly a set of instructions to the priest, whereas Deuteronomy is Moses' addresses to the whole people. The application to ordinary Israelites of laws of sanctity that applies to priests is part of the democratization of holiness that is central to the Torah ideal of a kingdom of priests. But the question remains, however, what has restraint in mourning to do with being children of the Lord your God, a holy and chosen people? Well, here are four explanations. Number one, Ibn Ezra says that just as a father may cause a child pain for his or her long-term good, so God sometimes brings us pain here in as in the form of bereavement, which we have to accept in trust without an excessive show of grief. The second explanation is the one given by Ramban, who suggests that it is our belief in the immortality of the soul that is why we shouldn't grieve over much. Even so, he adds, we're right to mourn within the parameters set by Jewish law, since even if death is only a parting, every parting is painful. The third explanation was given by Sforno and Chizkuni, who say that because we are children of God, we are never completely orphaned. We may lose our earthly parents, but never our ultimate father, hence there is a limit to grief. And fourthly, Rabbeinu Meyuchas suggests that royalty does not defile itself by undergoing disfiguring injuries, nivul, thus Israel, who are royalty because they are children of the supreme king, may not do so either. Whichever of these explanations speaks most strongly to us, the principle is clear. Here is how Maimonides sets out the law. Whoever doesn't mourn the dead in the manner enjoyed by the rabbis is achzari, is cruel or insensitive or whatever. At the same time, however, one should not indulge in excessive grief over one's dead, for it is said, weep not for the dead, nor moan him, bemoan him, that is to say, weep not too much. For that is the way of the world, and he who frets over the way of the world is a fool. In other words, death is part of life, it's part of nature, and therefore we mustn't over-grieve. So, in this way, halakha, Jewish law, strives to make, maintain a balance between too much and too little grief. Hence the various stages of bereavement. Aninut, the period between death and burial. Shiva, the week of mourning. Shloshim, 30 days in the case of other relatives. And Shana, a year in the case of parents. Judaism ordains a precisely calibrated sequence of grief from the initial numbing moment of loss itself to the funeral and the return home to the period of being comforted by friends and members of the community, to a more extended time during which one doesn't engage in activities associated with joy. 
The more we learn about the psychology of bereavement and the stages through which we must pass before loss is healed, so the wisdom of Judaism's ancient laws and customs has become ever more clear. As it is with individuals, so it is with the people as a whole. Jews have suffered more than most from persecution and tragedy. We've never forgotten these moments. We remember them on our fast days, especially on Tisha B'Av with its literature of lament, the keynote. Yet with the power of recovery that at times has been almost miraculous, it has never allowed itself to be defeated by grief. One rabbinic passage epitomizes the dominant voice within Judaism. It says, after the second temple was destroyed, ascetics multiplied in Israel. They didn't eat meat or drink wine. Rabbi Joshua told them, not to mourn at all is impossible, for it has been decreed. But to mourn too much is also impossible. In this anti-traditional age, with its hostility to ritual and its preference for the public display of private emotion, what Philip Reif in the 1960s called the triumph of the therapeutic, the idea that grief has its laws and limits sounds strange. Yet almost anyone who has had the misfortune to be bereaved can testify to the profound healing brought about by observance of the laws of avalut, of mourning. Torah and tradition knew how to honour both the dead and the living, sustaining the delicate balance between grief and consolation, the loss of life that gives us pain, and the reaffirmation of life that gives us hope. Shabbat Shalom.